Welcome to season one, episode two of What Are You So Effing Afraid Of? A podcast sponsored by the Longevity Project for a Greater Richmond, where we share a multi-voice exploration of issues to promote longevity equity, disrupt commonly held myths about aging, and share some best kept secrets emerging from evidence-based gerontology. I'm your co-host, Ann Welliford, and I'm joined by my colleagues, Alexa Vanertrick and Nico Stankalescu. In season one, we're diving into commonly held beliefs, fears, and myths about aging, old age, and longevity. Myths about sex, myths about equating old age with sadness, irrelevance, and isolation. So listen along and share with us, what are you so effing afraid of? In today's episode, we're exploring the lived experience around finding one's passion, community advocacy, and a particularly insightful look into work to promote age inclusivity. Today, we're joined by Dolores Kimbrough, founder of Kimbrough Consulting. Dolores is a diversity, equity, and inclusion professional who helps organizations develop a climate of inclusion. She brings her gifts of deep listening, insightful questioning, strategic focus, and encouragement to each of her clients. So let's jump in. Thank you, Dolores, for joining us today. Our listeners have heard your professional credentials. So let me ask you, how do you describe your work when meeting someone for the first time? Uh, I am the founder of Kimbrough Consulting, and Kimbrough Consulting helps the change to come by increasing diversity, equity, and inclusion capabilities, by providing impactful strategic planning, by facilitating inclusive meetings and retreats, and moderating team and community dialogues. So that's the work that I do, and um, it's all focused on the importance of inclusive change, connecting people, and finding, surfacing vision and finding strategies to achieve the change that we desire together. Mm. So that's the work that I do. Well, and so so much of what you do overlaps with what we do with uh, Longevity Project for a Greater Richmond, which is focused on longevity, equity, and and so your work with um, diversity, equity, and inclusion. There's there's a lot of of dovetails there, a lot of overlaps, and I think that's how we find ourselves repeating work together because we have that same um, mission in mind. So how did you become interested in your own field of work? Well, helping groups by facilitating change and contributing to strategic plans was part of what I did in my three decades long corporate career with Altria. Um, And it was the part of the work that I liked the most because it involved connecting diverse people, different companies, welcoming change, helping to find paths forward and helping people to connect with each other and doing these things warms my heart and I have fun doing it. Um, And then increasing individual and organization diversity, equity and inclusion capabilities connects with how much I care about my family and my community. I've personally experienced and seen the harm that can be caused by bias against different races, genders, 
ages and sexual orientations and religions. And I desire to be a catalyst for change, helping to find and build pathways of welcome and inclusion that where everybody is valued and where all differences come together valuing each other. So, mm. yeah, so that's, that's how I got here. So, okay, you, you touched on two things that I want to dig into a little bit. Um, one is about, you know, how as we grow older, we become so much more selective, right? And so you pointed out that what you're doing now is a, is a piece of what you did as your, you know, earlier work role. Mm-hmm. Do you think, was that for you intentional or did that just, I don't want to say just kind of evolve. How did that happen? How did you say, oh, aha, I'm, I'm going to just select out this piece that's this most interesting to me or most purposeful to me? Thanks for asking. Um, my my initial response is all of the above. So, um, so I think the organic piece of it was uh, about a year before I retired or qualified for retirement, my husband passed away. And um, that traumatic event mm-hmm. connected me to the importance of spending time doing what you love and with the people you love. And, um, and it made me as part of choosing early retirement, start thinking about and reevaluating what my passions were and searching, searching for the self that was always there and that would always remain there. So, um, So I did consciously make the effort to find the things that gave me joy or that would restore joy in that difficult time frame. Mm-hmm. I went back to school as part of my search. I tried multiple roles as part of my search, and I landed back at the same place where I started, which was, wow, I like facilitating conversations, connecting people, and helping change to come. So I landed with where I started and recognizing that um, who I was remained in me and connected back to those original passions. Mm, That's a beautiful point. Who you are remain in you. Yes. So the other piece of, of your description of the work that you do made me also think about inequity, right? So for Longevity Project, we talk about longevity equity, but oftentimes I feel like we need to not disregard, or maybe sometimes we even need to walk in through the door of inequity to have um, the most, what, productive types of conversations. And I'm curious in the work that you do, do you find yourself, do you, well, first of all, I guess, do you see those as different doors? And do you see yourself walking in one or the other? That's a very interesting question. So equity is establishing the processes, policies, procedures, frameworks 
that allow those who um, have been marginalized, have not gotten fair treatment, to be able to um, compete on a fair playing field and have access to the resources that are needed and to be able to have the ability to voice what is needed and impact the solutions um, in a way that'll make the difference for all, right? So, um, but to be there, to have longevity equity, you just have to start with an assessment and understanding the um, inequities that exist related to um, having being able to have a long and successful life and having what you need to live your life and for your family to live their lives. Um, and as we've talked about in the past, in our area within 10 miles of each other, there are people living in communities um, where the lifespan is shorter than other communities because resource availability and access to resources are different. That has existed for a long, long, long time. And um, so I think there, the, to achieve longevity equity, you do have to do an assessment. What are the inequities that exist? And create the, the vision for what does longevity equity look like? And how, what, how do you achieve success? And, um, and then create the plan for bridging from longevity inequity to longevity equity. Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay, so that to me is one of the things that in the work that we're doing with Longevity Project that is so surprising to people. I think that people do not, many people, people who aren't in this work don't realize what inequities exist. I mean, I, I think about when we show that map on the screen in a presentation of just that 10 mile radius that you're talking about. Um, and I watch in, you know, in the videos, people's mouths just drop open. Right. So I think that there's a lot of surprise about that, which is which is why I was curious about how you would respond to that. You know, yes, our goal is longevity equity, but doesn't that mean that we have to start with people's awareness about inequity? And then and then how do we how do we proceed? And I, I think, you know, what you shared about that is um, I think, of course, is a, a beautiful strategic response. It's um, what I would anticipate. So I think, you know, in my work, it surprises me that people are surprised. And I think that that is my own bias of, of being in this every day. Um, and so I'm curious to hear from you, what surprises you most about your work, the work that you do on a daily basis? Um. I think I have uh, two answers to the question, which may be, again, um, two sides to the same coin. So I am surprised by how much there is to shed that we have been taught. 
So we were all taught things about race, age, gender, sexual orientation, religion, ethnicity, that we were taught things that just were not true. Um, so when I think about the conversations related to disrupting ageism and the fact that we were taught that young is better, right? And um, aging relates to just those old people and we should desire products that keep us young. Um, none of those things are really truths. They're just messages that benefit those who have been teaching them across decades. So we've internalized things about ourselves and about each other that were false in all areas of social identity. And so we don't value all of who we are individually, and we don't value all of what makes up the others who are around us. So that's part of my answer. I'm also surprised about how much there is to learn that we were not taught and how much work there is to do to see clearly ourselves individually and for to help others to see clearly. So for example, Anne, in the past I've heard you teach about the happiness U-curve, that framework um, to remember that happiness can increase as we grow older. And I've been sort of noodling over and wondering whether that framework can be adapted for a freedom U-curve a framework that helps everyone of all ages, races, genders, religions, ethnicities, sexual orientations, to remember that releasing what no longer serves us can bring us to an intersection of freedom and equity and happiness. A U-curve of freedom that shows that shedding bias, shedding accommodating the expectations of others, and shedding assimilation allows us to remember ourselves, remember all of us, and that could open us to let our lights shine together. So that's, those are the two answers to my question. Okay, Dolores, this is, this is why you're on the short list. <laughs> <laughs> and this is why I love spending time with you. Um, <laughs> because, you know, you've encapsulated so many beautiful things there, right? I mean, yes, the happiness you curve. Why is it that people are, are happier? And part of it is because they are shedding a lot of those things that we've learned, those preconceived notions, those roles and expectations. Um, and you know, you've heard me also say, you know, when you dig yourself out of that midlife pit, right, you dig yourself out of that, that space. So then you can become. And so, you know, early on, when you talked about, you know, how you, after your 30 years in your in your corporate work, and then moved into this space that was really you coming back to who you really were, right? James Hillman would say, coming back to your acorn, right? Right. Yes. What, what was in you is always in you. And so I think the same is, is true here, right? Coming to your freedom. So do you have like a formula or ingredients or, or recommendations? Because clearly you have done that. 
right? You have been able to say, I'm going to shed this work that isn't my work to come to my essence of what truly is my work. So what, what's the magic formula to make that happen? Because that's what I truly believe from either a Jero transcendent standpoint or just mm, developmental gerontology standpoint where people become more of who they are. How does that happen for people? Well, that's an awesome question. And my, my first inclination is to say, given the fact that as we age, we grow more and more ourselves and more different from others, that the path may be unique for each one of us. Um, I can say that for myself, it happens by first slowing down. It can't happen while you're rushing and so it's it you have to just like you do in your relationships when you're trying to um overcome unconscious bias it takes slowing down being aware of what's going on around you listening closely to what people are saying versus jumping fast into the stereotype so i think it starts slowing down with yourself, right? And saying, what is resonating with me that I love versus what is causing me to shrink? And what causes you to shrink, you probably don't belong to and it doesn't belong to you. So I think it starts with that self-assessment. And then I think, it goes into accepting the truth that that moment is teaching you about yourself, just like in relationships, it comes to accepting the truth that others are saying about themselves. Accept the truth about what that seed inside you that thing that's resonating, that's leaning in to a passion is really saying about you, hearing your own voice, not everybody else's voices, but hearing your own voice and saying, yeah, that's, that's me, that's who I am. And these things that are causing me to shrink, I need to walk away from, I don't belong with that. And I belong with the freedom and joy that was intended for me. And, um, and that includes not belonging to situations where people are imposing inequity on you, but being able to raise your own voice and being willing to raise your own voice and disrupt ageism, disrupt racism, um, speak now. That's one of my favorite songs. Speak now in the middle of the moment if you feel like you are um, experiencing a microaggression. And um, and walk away from those situations where it seems like people are trying to harm you, but also fighting against and resisting for the sake of extended family and community. So finding those opportunities where you can lean in to resist. So, um, so those are all, I don't think there's a standard answer to give, but I think it would be great if we could explore 
the juxtaposition of the happiness U-curve and the studies that have been done and the achievement of a freedom U-curve and say, what are the frameworks that allow us to come back to who we are? So that's, those are just thoughts, mm-hmm. random thoughts actually, but, but that's the journey that I've been on. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I mean, I for one can say that uh, your journey is quite a role model. Um, and I, I say that for myself and I suspect that others say the same thing. Um, and certainly our listeners, I believe, will say the same thing. And, and I'm interested in digging more into connecting this happiness U-curve with this, with this freedom U-curve, because there are so many similarities, I think, there about, as you mentioned, the shedding or what I would call, you know, unlearning and relearning, you know, discarding those things that we've taught, been taught and just questioning, why do I believe this? And I believe it just because, just because it's in me, because I've been told uh, to believe that. Um, And even just coming to the awareness of what you believe, uh, the awareness of what you've been taught versus, and, and the things that you've been taught that have caused harm versus the things that you can embrace that bring truth and light. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, so when you think about that, um, maybe the, I don't know, maybe the changes that have happened over the last couple of years that I think have, um, and, you know, please disagree or agree, you know, we're all in, you know, this is a conversation to think about this, but um, some things that have come to light over the last couple of years um, in terms of inequities, do you see that as, do you see improvements there in terms of awareness of inequity? So I'm connecting that um, to what are improvements related to longevity and aging in the past few years, is that? Possibly, or, okay. you know, if we, I mean, yes, and, uh, yes, yes, and, and, inequity. Yes, and inequity, yeah. right? Because, okay. yes, because, um, you know, once you see, at least this is how it happened for me with, with ageism, um, once you see inequity in one space, you, you can't ignore it in the other spaces. At least that's how it happened for me. I'm not saying that that's how it happens for everybody, but um, I, I wonder about that. You know, do you, do you think that we have seen improvements in the awareness of inequity in any, any and all spaces over the last, well, at all, maybe at all? Um, I think I'm, I'm pausing because I'm finding myself torn between two answers. So maybe I'll just give both. We'll Great. See I, I love that. Let's do that. <laughs> okay. So um, I feel like I've lived in equities all my life, living in the intersection of race and age and gender. And I've seen inequities all my life 
um, from the struggle that my family has had. So um, my mom and my dad were, are still alive and they were born in 1932 and 1933. And so they are 88 and 89 this year. And they worked hard and raised seven children in the middle of racism and Jim Crow and segregated schools and battles related to civil rights. They had very few resources. They had many obstacles. They worked day and night doing hard manual labor jobs just to pay the bills and put food on the table. They navigated many difficulties, but in spite of it all, they always looked for the next best step. Even though they had few opportunities due to race and education, and economic obstacles. My dad was pulled out of school in the third grade to work in farm fields and lumber yards, along with many other children in his family in the 30s and the 40s. Um, so they've struggled all their life, our family has struggled all their lives, and yet we have embraced resilience. And there are things, there are things in the lives of each of the following generations and my generation and in my um, nieces and nephews generations and in their children's generations that are better than they were than um, what existed in my mom and dad's generation for decades. So, so the answer to have things gotten better, um, is an, the, ans the other part of the answer is one that I heard um, Ibram Kendi say, and that was in a, a video that I watched. Yes, some things have gotten better, but the rhythm that we have seen across the decades is that when things get better, resistance rises up. And we see resistance rising up today right? Fighting in schools related to critical race theory, fighting over whether or not our story can be told in a truthful way, fighting to stay in segregated communities and segregated schools and marches with resistance to stop voting rights. So uh, people who are insurrectionists being called patriots. So we see all of those things, we struggle against all of those things and the rhythm continues of fighting for the right, standing up for the truth, and raising our voices and living our lives and knowing joy and peace and happiness with each other in the midst of all of that, while at the same time fighting against the resistance. So I think that's my answer to your question. Yes, and of course it's a beautiful answer and because the answer is yes and to be continued, right? Yeah. Um, you know, and as you're talking, it's making me think of, you know, how Susan Flutie talked about backlash, about, um, about women's rights that, you know, as in any kind of backlash, if you have something that swings one direction, 
then the, the equal opposite reaction happens, right? There's a, a natural swing in the other direction. And I think that, um, I think we're seeing that in, well, within the intersectionality of, of all of, all of the biases and most, well, in there, it's all present for us. And it's heavy. It's heavy. Um, but that doesn't keep us for, um, it doesn't keep us for, from keeping up that, that fight for equity. It does not. It's, and, it's, it's, it's like what I was saying with my parents, that they were always looking for, despite all the obstacles and across all these generations, despite all the obstacles, despite all of the inequities, in spite of all of the hurt and pain and harm, always looking for that next best step for family. And when it surfaced, moving into it. And that's, I think, what we have to do. We have to hope and believe and exercise resilience and strength, recognize our gifts and our voice and refuse to be silenced. So. Yes. yes, refuse to be silenced because there won't be there won't be equity if we're silenced. Right. Right. We, we have to keep that up. Well, so in terms of of that not being silenced, um, where do you where do you see your work going in the next few years? Well, um, my tagline for Kimbrough Consulting is helping the change to come, right? So the work of helping the change to come will continue through facilitation, strategic planning, DEI training, and inclusive dialogues because of the fact that throughout history, we have that rhythm of progress and resistance to progress. And for each advance that we make, we learn more and the environment changes and we identify the next best change and the next best step, and then we make it happen. So my work is to help the vision to emerge, help actions to be identified, and to help the benefits to come. So for me, like my parents and the generations before them, in the face of resistance to inclusion and fairness and equity, I'll continue to seek freedom and happiness for myself, my family, within organizations, and across communities, hoping that on that journey, we will continue to embrace the beauty of being all of who we are together. And that work for me is both personal and it's professional. Mm. You know, as you're, as you're sharing that, um, it's reminding me of a quote that um, I use a lot and I love so much. And, and what you've just said is, is just right at the heart of this. So Malcolm Knowles said that, um, about gerontology, it's the me in aging and the aging me. And that is really about the intersection of the personal and professional. And, and actually throughout this conversation, you've, you've threaded those things together that from the very beginning that, you know, you know, who you are is in you and what's for you is for you. And, and how this, um, this last piece that you shared about how that's integrated in both your personal and your professional. So 
now I want to ask, you know, these last two questions that are really about the, the personal side of things. And, and the, you know, the first question is, you know, what do you most look forward to about your own longevity? And then the flip side of that, you know, what are you most afraid of in regards to your own longevity and aging? And I think I can answer them together. So success for me is being all of me. That's successful aging to me. So all of who I was born to be is what I want to be when I grow up, right? So we have been taught ideas and beliefs that, as I mentioned earlier, cause us to shrink from being all of ourselves shrink from accepting all of our strengths and letting our light shine at every age. I think the thing I most fear is not fully releasing the fear of aging that we've been taught. And I want to embrace aging and continue to dream and believe and hope and remember who I be now and in the future. And I want to dream I want to keep seeing and believing in the beauty that exists at every age. I want to be that at 70, at 80, at 90, at 110, you know, whatever years I have. I want to embrace the future me and hear her messages at every moment. But when it comes back to fears, I live in the intersection of race, age, and gender, and I struggle daily against internalizing the microaggressions that I experience every day at that intersection. And what I look forward to is growing in the freedom of being free of stereotypes and aggressions that get internalized at the intersections. I desire and look forward to the freedom to just take off up space and be all of me and to love all of you. That's what I look forward to most. Mm. Well, that is a beautiful vision. I think that we could all say we want that for you because we want that for us. Right? Thank you, Anne. Okay, so now, of course, I have one more question because you always because you always lead me to more questions. So if we're thinking about this freedom U-curve and we're thinking about how we shed those microaggressions, those intersectional microaggressions, so we can become all of who we are, what are things that we could invite people to do together to help make that happen? Like if you were um, going to ask people for something, make a recommendation, what would that be? I think I've heard a conversation in some videos somewhere. I can't remember where I, I've listened to this. Um, but I think the, the personal and the policy and practices all have to be, we have to go through down parallel paths. So I'd say that um, each individual needs to go through their own personal self-assessment, understand where they are, 
create a plan for becoming more inclusive, um, create a plan for um, healing from trauma from the past, create a plan for healing in a place of wholeness. And um, that's the individual side and embracing that and rejecting those things that say they're not as beautiful as they really are. Then there's the opposite side of, um, which is it's important to be focused on policy and practices institutionally. Um, it gets to a question of what comes first, the chicken or the egg. We are taught things by institutions that are not true about each other, about um, race and age and um, uh, sexual orientations, religions, ethnicities, genders. There are policies and practices and institutions that support the harm that have been done by decades. That includes things like what's been happening with voting rights and um, things that have been passed in various states over the last month, frankly. It continues. So I'd say it's important to also, in parallel, get involved in the change of institutions, the review of policies and practices, and um, the resistance against policies, practices, politics that harm, that bring harm, that cause those aggressive, that cause aggressive resistance to feel like they have a right to, to harm others and to not accept and value those who are their neighbors, who live around them, um, take action to resolve the inequities that exist in our communities. Find your path. Each of our paths may be unique, but find your way to get involved um, and take action against institutional racism, ageism, gen sexism, things that are um, causing harm for those who are identify as LGBTQIA, and um, against those religions and ethnicities, take action, join with others, support those things that will address bias and inequities in our communities. That's, that's what I would suggest. Well, as always, Dolores, you know, conversations with you are inspiring and also activating in a very positive way for me, um, both at the personal level and also in terms of outward actions, not just about me personally doing the work for myself, but also some, you know, some steps in terms of how I will be more, uh, be a better advocate out in my community on the, both the local and the larger scale. So I want to ask my colleagues here if they have questions for you or things that they would like to chime in on. And then I'll ask you, Dolores, if you have some anything you want to uh, say in closing. So, Alexa, Nico, what would you like to add to the conversation? I think, uh, and Dolores, that was such an interesting conversation. I thank you so much for being so open, Dolores. And for sharing your point of view, it was um, 
I think it's really cool to hear someone who's been in the community for so long and just your perspective. Um, and I've never really heard the full scope of your journey before. And I've known you for probably four years now. And, and so I just had, I really enjoyed listening. So thank you for, like I said, for being so open and honest. Thank you, Alexa. And did we want to ask Dolores our question? Dolores, what are you afraid of? So I'm, I'm connecting it to the question asked earlier about in regards to your own aging. Mm-hmm. And um, that was being afraid of losing focus on um, rejecting those things that aren't true out of the business of things or, or under pressure of others trying to set expectations. Um, I want to completely release as being something that does not serve me the fear of aging. Um, I don't want it to be part of who I am. And yet mm-hmm. I get up in the morning sometimes and I look in the mirror and see a wrinkle or, and I, and I, and I have to consciously bring myself back to, this is me, this is who I am, this is good. Um, I have to constantly remind myself of those benefits that Anne has taught about aging, that it's not just about um, biology, but it's about the socio, the social, it's about the, um, the multi-dimensional aspect of aging, the psycho- psychological, sociological, spiritual, and that those things tell a deeper truth about who we are. I want to embrace, but what I fear sometimes is forgetting to do that. So, so I have to keep it top of mind and conscious for myself. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to, to what would I be afraid of related to my own aging, that would be it. But also what I wanna remember is something that I know I've also learned from y'all and that's we are all aging all the time. So if somebody mm-hmm. had asked me when I was 10 years old, what are you afraid of when it comes to your own aging? I would have thought, what a crazy thought. What <laughs> of aging? So I feel like what I want to answer is I want to be able to say, what a crazy thought. And someone asks me that yeah. question, when I'm 65 and when I'm 70 and when I'm 80, it's like, why, why are you asking me that question? Mm-hmm. Why should I be afraid of my own aging? I never have been. That's what I, that's the answer I want to give. So, Yeah. Yeah. It, it, I imagine the feeling when I, cause I'm 26 and I, I imagine it's going to take me a really long time to accept my own aging and my own mortality. I imagine it's going to be a very liberating feeling to put that worry towards something that's more worthy <laughs> let, <laughs> of let my time. That stress, it, it does mm-hmm. not serve us. And it's not, it actually is a reflection of ageism and the internalizing we've done of, of, of false messages that mm-hmm. make us shrink. So I want to release that. I think that's such a great point because even asking the question is such an internalization of it the does. fact that people are afraid of something. Right. Yeah, it's a yes. crazy, yep. it's a crazy question. <laughs> yeah, it's a crazy question. Mm-hmm. Right. I, and I'm with you. I want it to be a crazy question. But we know out in the dominant narrative, it's it's real. It's not crazy. 
Yeah. And yeah. that is so sad. It's so sad, sad, right? It's mm -hmm. so sad. Well, I'm going to claim that, right? I'm going to claim, you know, what I want is to say, that's such a crazy question. <laughs> right? Thank you for leading us to that. Well, Dolores, I want to thank you always. I want to thank you for these years that I've had so many conversations with you that have led to answers and also led to more questions. <laughs> <laughs> and I appreciate that so very much. So as we're wrapping up, do you have any last final thoughts or comments that you want to add to the conversation? I do. I do. I came prepared to give you a gift. Now, first of all, I want to say thank you so much for the conversation. Um, I have a feeling when I listen to it, I will learn more about myself. Frankly, I'm never sure of what's going to surface when we're talking, Anne, but it's always something really, really deep. So, so um, thank you so much for the conversation. And I brought the lyrics to a song to share with you as part of my own closing comments. It's something that I heard at a, a mini retreat last weekend that I've been meditating on this week and it felt like it applied. So I wanted to share it with you and the audience, if that's okay. Thank you. Please do. It's called Go Bravely and it's by Shelley Ann Gajadar. And I am paraphrasing it because I wanted to make it broader from a pronoun standpoint. So go bravely. Every day a hero is reborn. They find themselves, their voices and their purpose, not because life handed it to them freely, but because they chose to accept life's gift of grace bravely. You see, this life is one of testing, testing our patience, our resilience, testing how bad we want our dreams and our desires. Life says that we can visualize, we can have all that we visualize, but the tests come to determine whether we are seated in faith, courage and conviction beautiful people. So many times you have shrunk your being to fit into places you don't belong. Time and time again, you allow the world to dim your infinite light. Sometimes you even dim your own light. Who taught you these treacherous things? Let this be a reminder that you are more expansive than even your own imagination. You are the universe, the galaxies, the cosmos, and everything that the divine is. And so, because you are that, you are capable, you are gifted, and you are so unique. All of the things that you may hate about yourself are your strengths. It's okay to be soft, opinionated, different, and it's okay to just be you. The world awaits to receive you. The world needs your smile, your uniqueness, and your essence. So, beautiful people, go out there and take up space. Let your presence be felt. Let your voice be heard. The world needs you. We need you. You need you.
And so enter the world as all of you. Go bravely. Thank you, Anne. Oh, thank you, Dolores. Thank you for being all of you. And I wish you even more of that. Thank you for sharing your thoughts and for, as always, leaving me with more questions. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of What Are You So Effing Afraid Of? A podcast sponsored by the Longevity Project for a Greater Richmond, a multi-voice exploration of issues to promote longevity equity, disrupt commonly held myths about aging, and share some best kept secrets emerging from evidence-based gerontology. On behalf of myself, Ann Welliford, and my co-host, Alexa Bannertrek and Nico Stankulescu, and the Longevity Project for a Greater Richmond team, thank you. We hope that you will join us again as we continue to disrupt common myths and fears about aging and longevity. So listen along and share with us. What are you so effing afraid of? <laughs>